Father, we praise you and thank you for who you are and what you've done through your son Jesus. We praise you for Jesus who came and took on human flesh, died for our sins, and rose from the dead. Father, we thank you for your son. And Father, we thank you that uh, you saved us through faith in him. And Father, I thank you that you revealed that in your word, the gospel. And we were born again through the living and abiding word of God that was preached to us. And Father, I thank you that you use your word to grow us in respect to salvation. And I pray as we look in your word today, that is exactly what would happen with each and every one listening today. That we would become more and more like your son Jesus. And we would learn what you intended in this passage today. And then we would do what you say by your power and strength. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know if you've noticed lately, but we are all very different. We look different. We act different at times. Uh, we have different interests. We have different skills. We have different abilities. Uh, we're all very different. And yet, when we were saved by faith in Jesus Christ, we were placed into one body. We were placed into unity together. And within that body, although we are different, and although we have differing gifts, we're to serve the Lord by serving one another. Now, when you have a lot of differences and a lot of different people, you would think it would be impossible to serve as one unit as one unit uh, serving together. But today we're going to see how we who are so different can serve together in unity. We're going to see and learn from God's people who arose and built together. Turn your Bibles to Nehemiah. We're going to be in chapter 3 today. And I want to briefly bring us up to speed and where we're at. Uh, We have... uh, These Jews who had come uh, during Ezra's time uh, to rebuild the walls, and they were stopped by the the, um, Persian emperor uh, with an edict. There was a lot of opposition, and uh, a report came to Nehemiah, who was the king's cupbearer, that things were not good in Israel, that the walls were broken down and the gates were burned with fire. And he mourned over that. We see this in chapter 1. He mourned over the reality of God's city, Jerusalem, the city that identifies with the living God that he identified with was in such a shambles. And we saw in chapter 1, Nehemiah, uh, he was on his knees praying, on his knees praying. We saw that prayer in in the end of chapter 1 where he revealed God's great, grand, uh, he, he, he clearly revealed that God is great, and grand, and that uh, there's nothing that is impossible for him. He prays in that context. And we see in that context, it's a model for us. And he waited on the Lord, and he reminded the Lord uh, of the promises that applied to the circumstances that they were in. And then he confessed sin relating to the circumstances that they were in. And then he asked his specific request that he would have favor, that he would have success because he was the cupbearer of the king. He was going to go before him. And by this time, four months had gone by, and it had become apparent to Nehemiah that God would answer his prayer concerning these Jews in Jerusalem uh, who were discouraged and distraught in a sense and and being uh, reproached uh, and the walls and the gates that Nehemiah was the one God was going to use as the answer to the prayer. And so we came to chapter 2, where we saw Nehemiah, a man who had patiently waited on the Lord. He was a man who was walking with the Lord. When the Lord opened a door, what does Nehemiah do? He prays, and he prayed. But he was also prepared. He knew what he needed to ask of the king, and God's gracious hand was upon him. And the king let him go. And he was also very wise in asking for letters for his journey, and also uh, for the ability to get wood from the king's forest from Asap. And so the king granted his request, and Nehemiah acknowledges it, that it was because God's good hand was on him. That's why. God was working through the circumstances. And so last week we saw that Nehemiah was on his way to Jerusalem to help these Jews. But then we saw that opposition began to form. 
Remember Sanballat and Tobiah, and we'll hear a lot of them throughout this study, not today, but uh, throughout our study of Nehemiah. They heard that Nehemiah was coming, and to them it was a great evil that someone would want to help these Jews. And obviously we see that uh, principle that when we want to do what's right, there's going to be opposition. We have an enemy, Satan, and those in his domain are his pawns held captive by their own desires and sin to do his will. And we see that with Sanballat and Tobiah. And then we saw that Nehemiah arrived in Jerusalem, and he was there three days. But yet he didn't start the work immediately. He wisely went out at night, and he didn't tell anyone what the Lord had put on his heart. He didn't tell the officials of the bad guys, and he didn't tell those Jewish officials uh, and, the, and the nobles and, and the people who would do the work. He didn't tell them either because he knew the word would get out. He wisely didn't share anything, and he did a tour of the walls at night inspecting them. And when he came back, he was ready to share with the Jews what God had put on his heart, and he invited them to come build the walls together. Let's do it. Let's build the wall and uh, repair the gates, and we see that the Jews, uh, and within that, he also gives the reason why, that we would not be a reproach, and we'll see that later on, how that ties to God's glory, by the way. And they said what? Let's do it. They agreed, and they arose and built. And so it's from this point we come to chapter 3, where we have what some people would say is a long chapter of names and and repetition. And there are even people who don't even preach through chapters like this. They just skip these chapters and, and they say it's boring and long and there's not nothing, there's nothing for us to really learn. Well, I wholeheartedly disagree, but there are also others who read into these chapters way too much than what God intended. For instance, There are some teachers who will go into simply in their sermons each gate and they will explain the symbolism around each gate and kind of make a sermon out of that from New Testament principles. Well, that's not what this intended either. And so we need to walk through it and we need to see what did God intend in this passage that we would learn from it, be taught from it, that we would be reproved, that we'd be corrected, that we'd be trained in righteousness because all scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable and God wanted to put in all these things for us to see. And so therefore it behooves us to ask the question, why? Why does he put this in here? That we would learn from our study and then be able to respond rightly. So Nehemiah chapter 3, now I'm going to read the whole thing. It's going to take a while. I'm going to, I'm going to hack these names up. You know that already. Um, there's a lot of repetition in here. I want you to see that when we go through. I want you to point out. I want you to do, observe a couple things. One, the repetition. Two, I want you to observe things that are anomalies, things that are different. Okay. And then we want to understand the whole thing. If we gather an understanding of the whole, that will help us with the parts. Now, I have on your outlines, I have put on the back a little map. I, I don't have a reference for who I got it. I did not draw that up, but someone did, so uh, they'll get credit in heaven, okay? But uh, that map will help us because basically what Nehemiah is going to do, he's going to speak of these repairs going counterclockwise, around from the sheep gate and you can follow those names not every single one is in there but most of them are and you can follow as we read through so i would have your bible in one hand the map in the other hand you can watch as it goes around the circle counterclockwise for you guys okay and that's what we have on that map so we come to chapter 3 verse 1 then elishab the high priest arose with his brothers the priests and built the sheep gate They consecrated it and hung its doors. They consecrated the wall to the tower of the hundred and to the tower and the tower of Hanani. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zakor, the son of Imri, built. Now the sons of Hasanaha built the fish gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors, its bolts and bars. And next to them, Mirmoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, made repairs. And next to him, Meshulam, the son of Barakiah, the son of Meshezebel, made repairs. And next to Zadok, the son of Baana, also made repairs. Moreover, next to him, the Tekoites made repairs, but their nobles 
did not support the work of their masters. There's an anomaly, right? They're just taking notes, so I'm going to give that one to you. Um, and Jehoiada, the son of Pasea, and Meshulam, the son of Besodiah, repaired the old gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. Next to Met, Met, Melatiah, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the Marathonite, the men of Gibeon and Mitzpah also made repairs for the official seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Next to him, Uziel, the son of Harhiah, of the goldsmiths, made repairs. And next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, made repairs. And they restored and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. And next to them, Rephalah, the son of Hur, the official of the half-district of Jerusalem, made repairs. Next to them, Jedediah, the son of Harumphafumph, I think. Harumphafumph, well, it was Harumphafumph, right? Uh, uh, made repairs uh, opposite his house. There's interesting. And next to uh, Hatush, the son of Hashabniah made repairs. Uh, Malkiha, Kia, the son of Harim, and Hashib, the son of Pahath Moab, repaired another section of the Tower of Furnace and the Tower of Furnaces. And next to him, Shalom, the son of Halohish, uh, the official of the half district of Jerusalem, made repairs. He and his daughters. Um, Hanun, the, the inhabitants of uh, Zanoah, repaired the valley gate. They built it and hung its doors with its bolts and bars and a thousand cubits of wall to the refuse gate. And Malchijah, the son of Rechab, the official of the district of Beth Hakarim, repaired the, ref, the refuse gate. He built and hung its doors and its bolts and bars. Shalom, the son of Kolhaze, the official of the district of Mitzpah, repaired the fountain gate. He built it, covered it, and hung its doors with its bolts and its bars and the wall of the pool of Shelah at the king's garden as far as the steps that descend from the city of David. And after him, Nehemiah, the son of Azbek, that's not our Nehemiah, because it's a different guy, son of someone else, okay? Um, official of the half-district of Bethzer made repairs as far as a point opposite the tombs of David, and as far as the artificial pool, uh, the house of the mighty, and the house of the mighty men. After him, Levites, there you go, carried out repairs under Rephim and the son of Bani. Next to him, Hashabiah, the official of the half-district of Kelah, uh, carried out repairs for his district. And after him, their brothers carried out their brothers carried out repairs under Bavai, the son of Hanadad, official of the other half-district of Kelah. And next to him, Ezer, the son of Yeshua, the official of Mitzpah, repaired another section in front of the ascent of the armory at the angle. And after him, Baruch, the son of Zabi, zealously repaired another section from the angle to the doorway of the house of Elishab, the high priest. After him, Miramoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired another section uh, from the doorway of Elishab's house, even as far as the end of his house. And after him, the priests, the men of the valley, carried out repairs. After them, Benjamin and Hashab carried out repairs in front of their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Ma'asalah, and son of uh, Ananiah, carried out repairs besides his house. After him, Benui, I think, the son of uh, Henadad, repaired another section from the house of Azariah as far as the angle and as far as the corner. Palal, the son of Uzai, uh, made repairs in front of the angle of the tower projecting from the upper house of the king, which is by the court of the guard. After him, 
Pedadiah, uh, the son of Parosh, uh, made repairs. And the temple of the servants living in Ophel made repairs as far as far as the front of the water gate toward the east and the projecting tower. After him, the Tekoites repaired another section in front of the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Ophel. And the horse gate, the priest carried out repairs each in front of his house, above the horse gate. After them, Zadok, the son of Immer, carried out repairs in front of his house. And after him, Sham. Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate, carried out repairs. And after him, Hananiah, the son of Shemaiah, and Hanan, the sixth son of Zeloph, repaired another section. And after him, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, carried out repairs in front of his own quarters. And after him, Malkiahha, one of the goldsmiths, carried out repairs as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants in front of the inspection gate as far as the upper room of the corner. And between the upper room of the corner and the sheet gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants carried out repairs. Okay, well, if we were to go verse by verse through this, we would be here a long, long time. Um, and we're going to look at it, but basically there's a lot of repetition, but there's also a lot of anomalies and differences. But one thing that stands clear is that Nehemiah names the names of the people that do this, and he gives some information about them, their family relations or wherever they're from, things like that. So with that in mind, we're going to see that there are uh, the gates and the walls spoken of. There are the bolts and the... Things being laid, uh, bolts and bars. Now, the interesting thing is when we read through chapter 3, you think as you read through a book, it is in chronological order. You think, okay, chapter 1, yep, chapter 2, that seems chronological. Chapter 3, 4, well, the reality is when we read through chapter 3, it spoke as if the gates were done and the bolts were done, that they completed it. Later on, we're going to see that these were not completed until later on in chapter 6. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. And it came about when it was reported to Sanballat, Tobiah, to Gershom, the Arab, and to the rest of our enemies, I like they, they don't, he doesn't hold back from what they are, um, that I had rebuilt the wall and that no breach had remained in it, although at that time I had not set up the doors in the gates. Uh, so the doors weren't up yet at that point. He's going to put them up later on. But they weren't up yet. So chapter 3 is a summary of all the people that did all the work from start to finish. Because they're going to talk about it being done, you see. But we're going to see in chapters 4 and on the progression of that work, okay? So we need to remember that. We also recognize that although it appears they have very distinct things they're doing, it, it, it didn't come out of osmosis, we'll see. Nehemiah takes the credit here. He says, I repaired the wall. I repaired the gates, which implies he was leading in the repair of those things. And we're going to see that later on, okay? We'll see that later on. So then, uh, what repetition did we see, first of all? What did we see? We saw the term, uh, obviously we saw the term built or repaired. There was those terms, two different Hebrew terms. One means to build it, the other one means to repair it. You see that. Most often the building was doing on the, on the, on the gates, and the repairing was on the walls, but there is some crossover Obviously, there's some places that really needed to be done. Okay, so we have that, uh, the repairs and those things. And also here, we have the statement. I don't know if you saw this over and over again. Can you go check on that, Jim? Uh, but back to our passage. So the repetition that we saw, obviously, there was the building, built, 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 repaired, repaired, repaired. We saw that. We saw the gates. Uh, we saw those gates and the, the repairing of those gates. And then we had the phrase... Next to him or them. Next to him or them or after him. Did you notice that? We had it at least 23 times. Next to him or after them. Next to them or after them. You see? And we also had individuals named. We had individuals named. Their families. Uh, there are certain groups of people. There are priests. There are temple servants. There are leaders. There are people who repaired in front of their houses. There are those who came from outside Jerusalem to help. Uh, there were those 
who wouldn't work, and there were those who worked zealously. Okay, and hopefully those things can be uh, uh, helpful. All right, sorry about that delay. Okay, so back to back to here. We have these individuals' names. We have families. We have certain people groups. We have priests, servants, temple servants, Levites. Uh, we have those with repairing in front of their houses. We have those who didn't work. We have those who worked zealously. So with that in mind, how can we, how can we uh, who are so different, so different in the body of Christ, work together? Uh, now remember, we need to recognize what we've seen in the last few times together in Nehemiah. This passage doesn't just sit by itself. It comes on the heels of chapters 1 and 2. And indeed, we saw back then that we need to be willing to do his work, and we also need to do it for his glory by his strength. Let's go back to chapter uh, 2, chapter 2, verse 17, chapter 2, verse 17. Then I said to them, who's the them? In context, it's not the foreign officials, it's the Jews, the priests, the nobles, and the officials, and the rest who did the work, end of chapter, end of verse 16. So here, uh, Nehemiah comes to the, to, to the, uh, to the people who are actually there who desire to do the work. It's been three days and he goes on a secret journey and he inspects the walls. He doesn't tell anyone what the Lord had put in his heart. And then he comes to them and says to the Jews there who desire to work on the wall, he says to them, you see the bad situation we are in. That's verse 17. Uh, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned by fire. He's saying, basically, it's a bad scene. It's not good. It's not good. It's desolate. It's a waste. Its gates are burnt. And later on, we're going to see in chapter 7, I think it is, that he shares that so far there were not many houses that were built in there. We'll see some, but Jerusalem was pretty open and there was not much going on inside there. And so he identifies with them. You see the bad situation that we are in. And folks, I mentioned this last time, godly leaders are not on a pedestal doing their own thing, pointing their finger, telling everyone what to do. They are part of that work. You see the bad situation that we are in. You see it. You see it. It's a bad scene. And remember, these Jews had originally left all the way from Persia to come and do the work here, and they were stopped by the by the uh, Persian emperor, and they had opposition, as we're going to see here, and they were discouraged. They were they were not doing well, and so Nehemiah points out the issue, and then what does he say? Pretty simple invitation: Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. Let's do it. Let's build the wall together. Let's build the wall together. So he shares very quickly the goal, the biblical goal, right? And when we are doing things together in the body of Christ, we have to have a biblical goal. We need to have what God says we should be doing. Now, some goals are very specific. Some goals are very specific in Scripture. Now, here it's specific for him, for God's glory in this context, as we will see. But for us, some of the things are not as specific. But we recognize we are to consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. We're to serve one another. Those are some very basic principles that override the specifics that we need to do together. So then we must understand what we're doing, what we're going to do. What are we, what are we going to be about? Hey, let's go serve them by doing this, right? Hey, let's love them by doing this. This is what we should be doing if we truly love Christ in relationship to them, or whatever it might be. Let's be about the work of getting the word out here as we see, right? Whatever it might be. And so here he says, let's rebuild together. But then he gives the reason why, that we may no longer be a reproach. Now, it sounds kind of selfish there at first. Uh, boy, we're reproached, and we don't really like the reproach, and, you know, that the world will look down upon us, so that's why we're going to do it. Well, really, that's not the full reason. The reality is the reproach upon God's people was a reproach upon him. This was his city, and they identified with him and this city, and they were being reproached. Uh, you could see and hear it probably. What kind of God do you have that identifies with this city? It's a waste place. The walls are in shambles and the gates are burned down. You could hear their mockery and their approach. And remember, the Lord himself had identified with Jerusalem. Turn to Psalm 48. Psalm 48. Psalm 48. 
a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. In the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion in the north, the city of the great king. Well, could you imagine them? They sang these psalms, the, the city of our God, you know what I'm saying? Walls and shambles, uh, gates burned down. It identified him, and they were being reproached for it by the bad guys. And so then, the motivation ultimately, I believe, was for God's glory, for God's glory, and that needs to be our motivation. We don't want anything to be said against our God. Uh, we want him to be glorified. We want him to be exalted Want to be exalted. Indeed, when the Apostle Paul was um, addressing not giving offense through food or drink with the liberty that we have in Christ, he shares this statement in 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We serve to glorify God. We serve to glorify him, not ourselves. Yes, we help one another. We serve one another. But we serve that he gets the glory, that he is glorified. First Peter chapter 4, verse 10, in terms of speaking of serving. As each one has received a special gift employed in serving one another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God, whoever speaks, let him speak, as it were, the utterances of God, whoever serves, let him do so by the strength that God supplies. Speak his words, serve by his strength, so that, and get this, in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, who, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That is the goal. Like for us, we're, we're building this building and all stuff. The build, that's not the goal to have a place to meet, and the goal is to glorify God in whatever we do. The goal is that he gets all the glory in the things that his body does in the context of getting prepared and being there, as we say. So then it's all for God's glory. And the motive must be for God's glory. It must not be for us and for our glory. It needs to be biblical. It needs to be for his glory. And then so third, we see that we need to completely rely on the Lord. And Nehemiah was an example of this. And he says in verse 18 of chapter 2, And I told them, that's the people he's invited, let's build, that the hand of my God had been favorable to me, and about the things which the kings, about, also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. God was favorable to me. This is how I got here. He allowed me to get the king to release me from my important job. He's given me this time. He's given me letters. He's given me access to the king's forest. God has done all of this. Nehemiah gives God the glory. And so then we need to have a biblical uh, goal and we need to have a pur the purpose, uh, ultimately why, uh, for God's glory. And we need to do it by his strength. And we see that. We see that here through Nehemiah. We're going to see throughout that they're constantly praying. He's constantly praying for, for God to, uh, to bring about uh, what he uh, desires, for God to take care of the things that are happening. We constantly see that. So then, are you willing to do what he says from the word? God says, uh, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Are you willing to do that? God says, as each one has received a special gift, employed in serving one another. Are you willing to do it? It's for God's glory. And are you willing to do his work by his strength? By his strength. You see, first of all, we need to be willing to do the work from the heart. Or it's worthless. Notice what we see back in Nehemiah 2.18. And I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. Then they said, what? Let us arise and build. Let's get up and do it. Let's do it. They took the invitation to do God's work for the right reasons. And turn down to Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6. I want to show you something really important. Because this wasn't external lip service. This was a heart that was changed that desired to serve the Lord. Nehemiah 4, verse 6. So we built the wall, and the whole wall was joined together to half its height. See, they're in progress right now, okay? For the people had a mind to work. Or you could literally say in Hebrew, the people had a heart to work. They desired from the heart to do the work. The people had a heart to work. Now, I can't see your hearts. Uh, and I, when I encourage you to be about the Lord's work, I can't tell if it's from the heart that you want to do that or not. Uh, but you know, 
you know if the if it's external or if God has moved your heart to serve him. You know that. You know that. And what gets in the way if we uh, uh, don't want to serve him? It's sin, right? It's self-centeredness. It's selfishness. It's selfishness. And so that needs to be rooted out through repentance and confession. And when you are back right with the Lord, he's going to give you a desire to serve him. If you are right with the Lord, you're going to have his desires. If you're right with the Lord, you're going to be in his word. And his word is constantly sharing what he desires us to do. And it's good and it's wonderful. And we are blessed when we do it. And there is peace when we walk with him. And there is joy when we do so. The people had the right heart. They had the right heart. Okay, so how then, when we are so different, uh, can we serve together? Well, from Nehemiah's example, we need to have the same biblical goal. We must do it for God's glory, the same purpose, and we must rely on the Lord completely. If we don't do that, forget it. There's going to be all kinds of division and problems, okay? Those need to be there in advance. And now coming into our passage, kind of late here, but we're getting into it, we need to first of all, from our passage, let the leaders lead. Let's take a look at this. Notice we're going to see Nehemiah exhibited extraordinary gifts and administration and organization, and the people actually followed. They actually followed. Remember in chapter 2, Nehemiah took the midnight ride and inspected the walls and wisely assessed the situation, and evidently from that he is implementing a plan, and he does it wisely. And I believe he wisely, from this passage, we can see he wisely delegates the tasks. He wisely delegates the tasks. This was not a free-for-all where everyone ran to the part of wall that they wanted to fix. I don't believe that's the case. Otherwise, there'd be people all over the place on one side, whatever it might be. Well, I, I want to do the, the sheep gate, not the refuge gate, right? <laughs> that's a better gate, right? Well, whatever it might be. But here we're going to see that it was ordered. And I mentioned this earlier. Take a look back in Nehemiah 3, verse 1. Then Elishib, the high priest, arose with his brothers and the priests and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. They consecrated the wall to the Tower of the Hundred and to the Tower of Hananiah. And next to him, remember that? Next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zachor, the son of Emery, and now the sons of Hasenah uh, built the fish gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its t- bolts and bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Ukiah, the son of Hakaz, made a prayer. And next to him, do you get the point? Next to him, next to him. Each person had a place and they were around. And we see that on our map. They were next to each other. They were not on top of each other. They were each thing. Obviously, Nehemiah had delegated that, and I believe he did so. Initially, I thought, well, how do we know if Nehemiah has delegated this? How do we know he has good organizational skills? How do we know that? It just says they did this. It's basically chapter uh, 6 and then chapter 7, which says that uh, they hadn't built the things yet. He, he, Nehemiah takes credit. I hadn't built the wall, or I had built the wall, but I hadn't put up the doors yet. It's evident he was leading in this context. He was taking not credit for it, but uh, obviously he had been the one who was leading it. So then we see that, and evidently they let their leaders lead. You look through it, and as we read through that, uh, evidently they they did what uh, what they were told. Now I remember I had uh, mentioned here that uh, uh, now also another thing I want to mention here besides that, we'll talk about that in a minute about letting leaders lead. But another thing we see here is I think he assigned places wisely based on uh, different needs, based on his inspection and his understanding. In Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 4, it says here, uh, Now the city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few, and the houses were not built. Basically, it hadn't got a housing development there yet, okay? It hadn't been developed yet, in a sense. Uh, it says there was no houses there, but really, we're going to see there were some houses but they're obviously very few, and they had to do with priests and people who are functioning in the context of Jerusalem. But notice, Nehemiah is very wise, and he has the people who have houses there repairing the walls near their houses. That's very wise. Take a look here at uh, chapter uh, 23, chapter 23, verse 23 of Nehemiah 3. And after them, Benjamiah and Hashab came, carried out repairs in front of their what? 
their house. And after them, Azariah, the son of Maasiah, the son of Ananiah, carried out repairs besides what? His house. Go down to verse 28. And above the horse gate, the priest carried out repairs, each in front of his house. And after after them, Zadok, the son of Emory, carried out repairs in front of his house. And after him, Shehemiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate, carried out repairs. And after him, the, the son of Shehemiah, Hananiah, the son of Shehemiah, Hunan, the sixth son of Zalop, repaired another section. After him, Meshulam, the son of Barakai, carried out repairs in front of his quarters. So Nehemiah was quite wise here, having them repair in front of their houses. And obviously, you know, you, you have a vested interest if it's something that relates to you. You know, the wall was to keep out the bad guys. And I'm sure they wouldn't, they do a good job because it's right at their house, right? It's right at their house. So we see wisdom in what Nehemiah did there too. Now he was also wise in having, and I believe the leaders didn't step out just and do it on themselves, but I believe he directed them to do it. He was wise to have the religious leaders step out first. He had them step out first. Look back in chapter 3, verse 1 again. Chapter 3, verse 1. Then Elishib, the high priest, arose with his brothers, the priests, and built the sheep gate. And they consecrated it and hung its doors. They consecrated the wall and the tower of the hundred and the tower of Hanael. They arose right away. Remember it said, arise and build? They arose and they built. That's what that verse says. Then, vav consecutive hue, they arose and built. And they started with the gate. Now, obviously, they hung the doors later, but they built, they built the gate. Now, what's the significance? The sheep gate, obviously, was important for the priests because that's where the sacrifices would come through. So, again, Nehemiah wisely has them do that, but he also has them, I believe, setting an example. The priest would have his priestly garments on probably out there building the gate, Right? Building the gate and the priests also. They weren't too high and lofty to not be part of the work. To not be part of the work. Now it's an important principle. They began the work right away. They set the example. They got out and did it. Right away. Then they did it. Now unfortunately I have to mention this if you've read through the book. Later on in chapter 13 we're going to see that Elishib had some problems. He's working here and he's doing good but uh, he's obviously under Nehemiah's direction. But he had some problems, and we'll see that in chapter 13. And, folks, we see that in the context of ministry. You minister with those who are appearing to do the right thing with the right heart, and later on you go, things are revealed that are not the way they should be. You see that. That's part of ministering. That's part of ministering. So, folks, Nehemiah is wise, and he he organizes them, and they respond. They respond. You know, it's a burden when everybody in the car is telling you how to drive, right? Right? It's a burden. When you get in a church where everybody wants to lead rather than serve, you're going to have problems. Here, Nehemiah is leading, and they are all serving. They are doing what he says, and they accomplish this task in 52 days, by the way. They accomplish it in 52 days. You see, when other people want to serve or lead rather than serve, you're going to have grumbling because they want to do it their way. You're going to have problems. You're going to have conflict. You're going to have gossip. You're going to have division. You have division. And I can't tell you how much the blessing is when you're in a position of leadership trusting the Lord when you share tasks that people willingly do, those voluntarily, and they do it. What a blessing that is. No arguments, no mumbling. Oh, Nehemiah's micromanaging. No, there's no mumbling, no arguments or whatever it might be. What a blessing. What a blessing. But what a burden it is uh, when you don't have submissive servants. What a burden that is. So here, Nehemiah trusted the Lord. He exhibited great organizational skills from the Lord. And indeed, the people set out and did what he said. And they functioned the way he desired them to function. And it is recorded for us here in this chapter. So then, how can we work together? We need to be led together. We need to allow God's leaders to lead, and we need to follow with the right heart. That's what we see here. If they didn't, they'd be going, no, I want to work on the refuge gate. Well, no, I want to work on this gate. No, I want to work this part of the wall. Can you imagine? They wouldn't even start within 52 days if they had a committee to do this. They were led, 
And they just did it. And they just did it with the right heart. With the right heart. Okay, so with that in mind, this implies then that we need to get to work. Right? How is it that we can work together, uh, be led together? Well, we need to, first of all, be about biblical goals, biblical things, what God has called us to do uh, for the purpose of his glory, by his strength. And we need to let the leaders in the body of Christ lead, and we need to follow and serve. And then we need to get to work, get to work. Remember back in chapter 2, verse 18, they said, let us arise and build. Notice what it says. Chapter 2, verse 18. Chapter 2, verse 18. It says, uh, Then they said, Let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. Is that 17 or 18? 18. Yeah, it's 18. We'll, we'll be quiet there. All right. Um, so they put their hands to this good work. They put their hands to the good work. They did it. They were about it. They were about it. Um, and notice he says in chapter 3, verse 1, Then Elisha, the high priest, arose with his brothers, the priest, and built the sheep gate. They did it. They arose and built. They rose and built. Folks, some of us need to get to work. There are things that God is calling you to do. There's things he's calling you to do with your family. There's things he's calling you to do in the body of Christ as each one has a special gift employed in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. There are things God is calling us to do in our relationships. We need to get about it. We need to get about the work. We need to be good stewards of the talents that God has given us, the giftings that he's given us. Right? We're here to serve him. We need to get to work. So how we who are so different, how can we work together for a common goal in the context of serving Christ from Nehemiah's example, they had a common biblical goal. They understood the purpose to glorify God. And as a parent, they believed God's good hand was upon them. They were trusting him. And they got to work as Nehemiah led them. As Nehemiah led them. Now, at this point, I want to share some interesting observations from the rest of the chapter that can be helpful for us as we look at this. I want to share those. First of all, notice we've already seen this, but... Working together, they each went about their individual tasks. Working together, they each went about their individual tasks. Next to him, next to them, after them. They were working together, but they were doing their individual tasks. We can learn from this. I can learn from this. We can all learn from this, right? That's why we have it. I mentioned this already. Secondly, that the religious leaders set the example. They stepped out right away and they got to work. They got to work. And then there's something quite interesting I noticed, and you probably noticed it when we're reading through, but all different kinds of people worked together. Let me share a little bit of this. I'm not going to share every part of it, but uh, we see there's the high priest and the priests, verse 1. We see there are the Levites and priests who did other work. Look in verse 17, chapter 3. After him, the Levites carried out repairs under the Rephim, under Rephim, the son of Bani. Look at verse 22. And after him, the priests, the men of the valley, carried out repairs. The priests and Levites doing stuff, right? Notice in verse 9, there are local leaders. Look back at verse 9. And next to them, Raph Haiah, ha uh, the son of Hur, the official of the half district of Jerusalem made repairs. Now there's another one spoken of too, the half district. He's an official. He's not too high and mighty for this. I'm the official of the half district. I'm half, I'm half the leader here. I'll just tell you guys what to do. No, he made repairs, right? He made repairs. And there were outside groups that came. Look at verse 5 of chapter 3. Moreover, next to him, the Tekoites made repairs. Now, these were from a city of Tekoa in Judah. They came over and they were working on it. They wanted to help. Notice there were also men from Gibeon and Mitzpah, verse 7. Next to them, uh, Melatiah, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the Maranothite, Mar Maranothite, okay. The men of Gibeon and of Mitzpah also made repairs for the official seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. They, other people, right? Gibeonites, the men of Mitzpah. 
There were families that worked together. There were families. One instance, we see the sons of one gentleman working together. Look at verse 3. Now the sons of Hassan, Hassan Aha, Aha uh, built the fish gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. They're the sons of this guy, right? They're working together. And also we see another guy who probably didn't have any daughters or sons, but he had some daughters. Look at this. Uh, verse, uh, let's see here, verse 12. And next to him, Shalom, the son of Halahash, the official of the half district of Jerusalem, made repairs, he and his daughters. Isn't that great? He's out there with his daughters. They're building. They're building together. He's out there. And folks, we have different tradesmen. We have craftsmen. We don't have the merchant saying, I'm a merchant. I can't do this. Oh, I'm a goldsmith. I cannot repair rocks and walls. We don't see that. They took the instruction from Nehemiah and they went about with the right heart and did the work. Look at verse 8. Next to him, Uziel, the son of Harahiah, of the goldsmiths made repairs. That's the son. And next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers made repairs. That was probably the best smelling part of it, right? (laughs) Right? And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. And look at verse 29. After him, Shehemiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate. He's a security guard. Okay, he's there. And then look down at verse 31. We've got goldsmiths and merchants. And after uh, Malchaha, one of the goldsmiths, carried out repairs as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants in front of the inspection gate as far as the upper room of the corner. And between the upper room of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants carried out repairs. Hey, they're out there doing it. They're out there doing it. And I forgot to mention, uh, there was someone I met, well, I mentioned a little earlier, the ones doing the not-so-glamorous jobs. Uh, verse 14, And Mal- Malachi, the son of Rechab, the official of the district of Beth Hakanerim, repaired the refuse gate. Now, obviously, that gate's where all the bad stuff, the dung and the, the trash and the dead bodies go out to there. That's the place that goes out that side. And it had been torn down and burned, so it's probably in very bad shape. He did that. He did that. So then there were religious leaders, priests, Levites, community leaders. There were groups of people, tradesmen, craftsmen, workers, all working together, yet separately on the tasks that they were assigned And God had given them a heart to do the work. When you have a heart to do the work, you're not arguing about your task. You're not arguing, well, I'm a perfumer. I really prefer to do the perfume right now. I'm a goldsmith. I'm not very good at uh, lifting beams on a wall. You know, yes, we need to serve within our gifting. But there are things that we do in the body of Christ where we're serving one another. We're to to consider how to estimate one another good deeds, loving good deeds. So then... We see them. God had given them a heart to work. But there were some who were unwilling to work. Isn't that the case? You find that in every church. Those who uh, are really unwilling to work. Look at verse 5. Moreover, next to him, the Tekoites made repairs. But their nobles did not support the work of their masters. Now, this is hard to translate um, it's, you know, the, you know, their nobles and the work of their masters. Is it, the nobles have masters? That doesn't make sense. Well, it's thought that that term masters is the term Lord in a sense, and it's a plural of majesty. They didn't do the work of their Lord, you know. Elohim is plural, okay, but it means God. It's singular, okay? And so then, uh, so that's what it's thought. But you could really translate it this way. Um, but their nobles did not go to do the work of their Lord. That's what it says, okay? So there were some nobles. Uh, They didn't come to do the work because they were too noble probably, right? Probably that. Uh, They were too noble to be servants out there. And folks, there are always people like this that certain tasks are below them because they don't have the right heart. They don't have the right heart. They're selfish at heart. They're unwilling to be like Christ who humbled himself to the point of being obedient to the point of death, becoming a servant, right? We're to have his mind, right? Consider others as more important than ourselves. They pretend to serve rather, uh, but they prefer to be served rather than to serve. 
I remember a family in our church a while ago who made themselves out to be big servants, and uh, and yet they served their way and on their time. And I remember them calling us in, the elders, to have meetings with them to tell us that they're going to be retiring and getting a lot of money and this and that, and we came in and they're going to have lots of time to serve. So I thought, wow, praise the Lord. Well, that time came and we asked them to serve and they wouldn't do what we wanted them to do. We asked the wife if she could go to the nursery. She couldn't do it. She didn't have the time. The reality is people who don't have a right heart are unwilling to serve wherever the Lord wants them to be, where the Lord wants them to be. May you or I never be like this. May we never see anything in the body of Christ as below us. We're in big trouble if we do. We're in big trouble if we do. Jeremiah 48.10, Cursed is the one who does the Lord's work negligently. That's, that's even doing it negligently. That's not saying about not doing it, right? May we never be like this. May we do all work heartily unto the Lord. Uh, even our everyday work, especially ministry. You see, the Lord, whatever the Lord wants us to do, what he's leading us to do through the leaders, may we do it according to his word with the right heart. The right heart. May we never be like the nobles who were too noble to to do the work. Well, the nobles were a terrible group, but there were some in other places that were uh, that did some more work. There's a couple of places I'm not going to share all of them, but there are people in here that actually did double. Uh, verse five: The Tekoites again. Moreover, next to him the Tekoites made repairs, and then if you go to verse 27, it says, "After him the Tekoites repaired another section." They were out working. They're out working. There's this Binu guy. He repaired another section. This is in verse 24. After Binu, the son of Himri repaired another section. He did two sections. And you look in there and you'll see that, that some did both, did more than one. And then notice, some did their work zealously. Verse 20. Take a look at verse 20. After him, Baruch, the son of Zabai, zealously repaired another section from the angle to the doorway of the house of Elisha, the high priest. The term zealous means to burn. In a negative context, it speaks of anger and being hot in a sense, but in a positive context, it speaks of zealousness. Now, was this guy a zealot or a maverick out of control? No, I don't believe so, because it said they all had a heart to do the work. But he was zealous. And Nehemiah writes it down, and he shares it. This guy was zealous. He was zealous to do the work. He had a heart to do it, and he was zealous. He did what Nehemiah assigned, as we see here, and he was zealous. Now, folks, I think sometimes we are very hesitant to give people praise in a sense, and I I understand that. Uh, We don't want the glory to go to man but to God. We understand that. But sometimes we need to recognize the people who are truly doing God's work in the context of trusting him, in the context of trusting him, to encourage them and give God glory, by the way. Indeed, Nehemiah recognizes everyone here. And he's not putting plaques on the back of pews, but he's simply acknowledging what God is doing through these people. And this guy was more zealous than the rest. He was more zealous than the rest. We can learn from this. Maybe our zeal for serving Christ has dampened as we uh, grow older in the faith. Maybe our love has grown cold. We should be excited and zealous about his work and serving him no matter what it is. From the smallest thing from our perspective to the largest thing from our perspective, we should be zealous to do it. Take a look at Romans chapter 16. The Apostle Paul has some words to say about some people. Romans chapter 16. And he names them by name. He shares it. Romans 16. I commend to you our sister Phoebe. Names it right out who is a servant of the church who is in Sincrea, probably the words diacana, she was a deacon there, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. Now that's a deacon as a servant, not a leader, by the way. It's a servant only. Receive her in a manner worthy of the saints, that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you, 
for she herself has also been a helper of many. You can see it. You can see it in her life. She's helped many of my and of myself as well. Bring her in. Commend her. I commend her, your helper, whatever she needs. She's a helper, and she's even helped me, right? Then what about uh, uh, verse 3? Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ, who for my life risked their own necks. Okay? That's pretty clear. Of whom I not only do... of, of whom, to whom not only do I give thanks, he's thanking them. God still gets the glory. You can thank someone and God still gets the glory, right? You know, when we have people that don't have the Spirit of God, they dissect every word that gets all out of balance. But the reality is here, Paul is thankful to God, but he gives them thanks. Verse 6, greet Mary who has worked hard for you. She worked hard. She worked hard. Verse 7, greet Andronicus and Junus, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, who were outstanding among the apostles who were in Christ before me. Hey, they stood out even among the apostles. Pretty amazing. (coughs) And I love these names. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, workers in the Lord. They're workers in the Lord. Greet Persius, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord. The reality is some people work harder than others. Um, may we be those who not for our own glory, but for God's glory, by his strength, work hard for him. Work hard for him. What would God say about you? What would God say if he's going to say so-and-so, and he gave a little statement like that? What would he say? Lazy, doesn't do much, doesn't care, willing, waiting, desiring, trusting, stepping out. What would he say? What would he say? May we be like those that we see here, like Barak uh, and the rest of those who are named here who are about God's work. (coughs) So then, how can we who are so different work together? Well, the key is that we're all in Christ. And if we trust Christ, we rely on him, and then we obey his word for his glory in the proper manner with his leaders leading us, we're going to be able to do what he wants us to do for his glory. We'll see that. Are you willing? Are you willing to let the leaders lead? Are you willing to do whatever the Lord has for you, biblically speaking? Now, there's some of you that may not have a heart to work and something's wrong. Or maybe you want to hold the steering wheel, whatever it might be. Selfishness has gotten in the way. Just confess. Say, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do, however you want me to do it, in light of your word and your will. Maybe your pride is wanting you to steer rather than to, than to serve. Maybe you don't know him. You know, these things are a symptom of not knowing the Lord. You need the Lord. Maybe he's exposing your sin today that you might turn to Jesus and trust in him and be saved. And for those of us who God has given us by his grace because we're his, a heart to work, we need to get to the good work. In our families, in our work, in the body of Christ, we need to get to the good work. 1 Corinthians 4.11, Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy or faithful. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you so much for the lessons that we learned from this passage today. Thank you that they arose and they worked. May we arise and be about your business. May we be about that which is clear, and may we be about those things which are vague but are, but are clear, serving one another and loving one another. May we be about your work for your glory. Help us to let go of our way and our desires and to let you have your way in our hearts and the things that we do every day till you come that we might hear not for our glory but for yours. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.